Welcome to Mount Perrin North Canton Campus. For those I've not had the opportunity of meeting, my name is Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor of Mount Perrin North, both our Marietta and our Canton campuses. It's always a pleasure for me to be with you. I'm here every other week. Our campus pastor here at Canton, Jeremy Isaacs, is here with you every week, but he shares every other week along with me. If you happen to have a Bible, if you want to turn to the book of Job, Job is in the Old Testament, sort of buried in there. So if you want to use that table of contents, use it. You paid for it, so you might as well go ahead and put it to use. It's right after the book of Esther. It's right before the book of Psalms. Perhaps you have a Bible app on your smartphone. You can use that, whatever. But we do encourage you to bring your Bible. The scriptures we'll be looking at will always be on the screen, usually every week. But we do encourage you to bring it. You can make your own personal notes there, underline a few things. That when you go back and throughout the week, you can look at some things. Today, we're going to continue in the series. Pastor Jeremy already mentioned it on God Quest. We've been looking at the compelling evidences and truths that let us know God does exist and that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be and why we can trust our lives to him. And this morning, we're going to be looking at that question, why is there suffering? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have right now the opportunity to be in this place. We thank you that you've supplied this very place so we can come and we can truly, truly engage you. I pray that takes place. I thank you for your presence in this room right now. We give you all the praise and glory for it. Open up our hearts to your truth and to what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do you think there is suffering in the world? Uh, Free will given to us by God, and so we're able to make choices, and our choices have uh, reactions for other people, and they're not always good. Why do you think there is suffering in the world? Because there's, there's good and there's evil, and sometimes evil prevails. Why do you think there is suffering in the world? It's endemic to the human condition. You can't have joy without suffering. You can't have good without bad. So it goes both ways. I mean, I think the fact that the suffering majority of it happens in places where they have less resources and money and the ability to, you know, make the suffering end. That's a good question. Why do I think there is suffering in the world? I think there is suffering in the world so that people can learn from, um, basically so people can draw closer to God. I think if you... You can't find peace unless you've had sorrow. I think there's suffering in the world because people refuse to face the fact that there's suffering in the world. So they turn a deaf ear and a blind eye and don't do anything about it. So why do you think there's suffering in the world? Because people do not love each other the way they should. We need to take care of each other and we need to be helping each other in every instance. So, thank you, though. A baby boy is born with cerebral palsy, causing him to have a severe speech impediment and chronic physical pain and poor motor skills all of his life. But perhaps the worst suffering he encounters is the public ridicule and rejection he has because of his condition, leaving him destined for a life of loneliness and disappointment and hopelessness. 
a young teenage girl enjoying a day at the lake with her sister innocently dives off of a dock unknowingly into shallow water, injures her neck, and becomes a quadriplegic, confined to a wheelchair the rest of her life. Such stories as these fill our headlines every day, and they touch us very deeply because everyone in here has tasted the sufferings of evil. And it brings us to the question, why is there suffering? And that question even looms larger when we put it in the context of a Christian faith that says God exists and that God that does exist loves us and cares for us. So we ask the question, if God loves us and cares for us, why is there so much suffering in the world? And we want to address that today through this classic story of Job. Now, Job is actually the first book written in the Bible. It's the oldest story that we have. And I find it very interesting that the oldest story, the first story we have in the Bible tells us about this, this idea of suffering and, and pain in our world, the, 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 the constant battle of good versus evil, God over Satan, and where we are in all of that because that's the real life in which we live. The story of Job opens in the first five verses telling us who is Job. We find out that Job, first of all, is a godly man. He loves God. He does right before God. He is good. We also find out he's a family man. He has seven sons and three daughters. He loves them dearly, provides for them. It says that the constant practice that he had was to pray for his children and to perform sacrifices for them. We also find out he's a wealthy man. He has, he has thousands of heads of different types of livestock and he has many servants. And he has a great deal of land. He's a well-to-do man. We also find out that he is a man of good reputation. He's a well-known man. It says in verse 5 that he was great throughout all of the East. He was looked up to. He had a great uh, and high respect for him. I mean, this is a guy, when you look at him, it looks like he's got everything together that nothing bad could ever happen to him. But then the story shifts and we go to heaven and we see this interesting conversation that takes place between God and Satan. If you want to look at verses three through, uh, uh, excuse, first, excuse me, verses six through twelve with me, please. They'll be on the screen as well. This is what it says: One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The word Satan means adversary, and we're talking about a fallen angel here that Ezekiel and, and Isaiah tell us about. He was an angel of God that turned against God, and evil was found in him, and he tried to overthrow God, but it didn't work. Here he comes before the Lord. Verse seven. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you put a hedge? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. You know what Satan's saying? He's saying, God, the only way you can get anybody to follow you is to bless them and to bribe them. And the only reason people will follow you is because of all of the good you do to them. He's saying, look, the only reason Job's in it, he's in it for the money. You take everything away, Job will turn away from you. He was challenging the very credibility of the relationship between God and humanity. So in verse 12... We pick up the story. It says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. From there, the story turns very, very dark because in one day, Job lost everything that he had. 
He lost all of his family. He lost all of his possessions. He lost it all in one day. And what we see from the story, the very first thing is this. Suffering exists because evil exists. Suffering exists because evil exists. Well, how do we know evil exists? Because we can see the chaos and the calamity of it every single day. We see the evil and the wickedness of inhumanity, things that we do to one another. But how can we know there's evil without having some standard of good? How can we know what is wrong without having some measure of what is right? C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author and speaker, one of the great philosophers and apologetics of human history, apologists of human history. Before he came to Jesus Christ, he was an atheist. He didn't believe God existed. And one of the main reasons he didn't believe God existed was because of the evil that was in the world. But then it hit him that how could he know there was evil unless he didn't have some idea of what was good. And this is what he said. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? You see, we can know there's injustice because we have a God of justice. We can know there's wrong because we have a God that is right. We can know there's evil because we have a God that is good. You see, everything good, everything right, everything clean, everything pure comes from God. In fact, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And here's what we know. We have evil in the world that brings suffering, but God did not cause the evil. God didn't cause it. He brings that which is good. Evil originated in Satan. Satan is the source of evil, and we're agents of that evil. Now, that's a hard pill for us to swallow, but Satan is the one that brought evil into existence. It was found in him, the Bible tells us, when he tried to be God and overthrow God. But God cast him out. But then Satan brought the evil to this world. But he didn't bring the evil into it. He brought it to the world. We're the ones that brought evil into the world. Because you see, Satan is the one who tempted Adam and Eve at the Garden of Eden. And see, God gave us the freedom of choice, free will, to reject him or to receive him. But he warned us if we rejected him, evil would be there. Death and suffering would be the result. But we chose to reject God and we chose to partner with Satan. And that brought evil into this world. And God did not lie. Suffering came. See, evil and suffering is not a part of God's plan. He very much knew that the potential of evil would exist because he gave us the freedom to choose. But it's not a part of his plan. It's not a part of his creation. And it's not a part of the plan that he will have at the end of all things. Evil and suffering will be eradicated. But we live in a place of suffering because evil exists. But then the story shifts again and it takes us back up to heaven. And we see this cosmic conversation between God and Satan. We go to chapter 2 of Job. And we see in verses 3 through 6. It says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Look what God says. Look, he still maintains his integrity. He still is walking with me. He's still looking to me, and I am still committed to him. Satan, your plan didn't work. But look at verse 4. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. 
Here we have this cosmic confrontation between Satan and God. We, 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 see, we see Satan come and accuse God and taunt God and accuse his followers. We see God uh, responding to Satan and, and, and limiting his activity, but allowing him activity none the same. We see this, but guess what? Job has no idea any of this is taking place. He is completely clueless to the heavenly realities around him. All he knows is that evil has befallen his life and that he is having to deal with the pain and the suffering of this great loss and tragedy and it feels like heaven has closed down and God has cut off all communication. See, the deal is this. Our perspective is limited when it comes to this idea of of suffering in this world and how God works within it. I wish I could give you a better answer than that, but that's, that's really what it gets down to because when you're in the throes of pain and suffering, when you're in that place of hardship in your life, pat answers really don't cut it. Platitudes really don't get it. And we're limited in our perspective. It's interesting. You and I get greater insight in the story than Job got. Well, at least we know this conversation took place in heaven. But even then, our perspective is limited. We don't know why it's taking place. We really don't know the the, the essence of why the the, the conversation has to go on. We don't know what the whole process is that's going on here. Even we're limited in the enlightenment that Job doesn't even have. See, our perspective is limited. I don't know why. And you don't know why some people get cancer, some don't. We don't know why children get abducted. We we can't understand why, why young people have to have their lives ended in tragic ways. It's the fallout of this world and we're limited in how we can really grasp what it all means. But even in our limitations, we can understand this, that being right with God does not exempt us from tasting the tragedy of evil and suffering. Job was right with God by God's own admission. He had a right relationship with God, but that did not exempt him from being touched by the evil and suffering in the world. None of us. Right with God or not, we're all susceptible. Why? We've all contributed to the fallout. We've all sinned against God. We're all a part of that. So we're all susceptible to it. So then what do we do? We just sort of flounder around here and just sort of get knocked upside the head and just bend over and say, thank you, sir. May I have another? What do we do with all of this? I think we can look at Job. We can look at, in our limited perspective, what's available to us. One of the first things we can do is we can grieve to God. We can grieve to God. Look at Job's response when he gets all the bad news about losing his entire family. Verse 20 of chapter 1. It says this, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Those are all the actions of someone in deep agony and pain. Someone who's in great grief. Someone who's bitter. Someone who is really hurting. He rips his clothes. He shaves his head. What's he doing? He's pouring out this grief to God. God allows us to express our frustration, even our anger, even our hurt towards Him about what's going on in our lives. He understands that we have a limited perspective. He understands that we don't get everything and it doesn't make sense to us. And He allows us to take all the pain that we feel in the midst of all that and pour it out to Him. In fact, He welcomes it. He invites us. He says, come and bring it to me. Job didn't get struck down in all of his expression towards God of the emotion that he had. We can grieve to God in the midst of all of this. My grandparents, my dad's parents, Paul and Margaret Walker, they were pioneers in a couple of ways. One, just in the territories 
in the, in the, in the Dakotas. They were some of the first settlers in the Dakota Territory. At least my family was. But also they were church planters for the church of God. All throughout the early 1900s. Up into the north central portion of the, of, the, of the nation. And into the northeast portion. And they were living in the Dakotas. And the first children they had were twin girls. 1925. But they were born two months premature. And they were born in the middle of a blizzard. Record cold that hit the Dakotas. And we're talking about 1925. We're talking about no major roads. We're talking about still, they went around in wagons, very few cars. It was a time when the roads were not that good. And in that kind of weather, a doctor couldn't get there anyway. These premature little girls didn't have enough strength to fight off the cold. We're not talking about central heating. We're talking about a little cabin that was heated by a potbelly stove. My grandfather actually wrapped the little girls in shawls and put them inside the oven to warm them up. But in a matter of hours, they died in my grandparents' arms. My grandfather didn't have enough money to buy coffins, so he built his own little coffins for his two daughters, dug through the icy ground to bury them in the Dakotas. Seven years later, my dad was born. Seven years after that, 14 years after these twin girls were lost, twin boys were born. And my grandmother was in the hospital right after giving birth to them. And a doctor came to her and said, your youngest one, Don, said he's, he's not receiving milk. He's, he's deteriorating. We don't think he's going to make it. And my grandmother, in her own words, in the autobiography of my grandfather, says this says, I turned my face to the wall and talked to no one but the Lord. And in my prayers of desperation, I said, Lord, you took the girls and I didn't question you. Now, if you take one of the twins, take both of them. And if you do, I'm not obligated to serve you another day. Anybody in here got the guts to pray that prayer? I think you do. I think there's been some of us in here that have prayed that prayer. Not a threat, not an ultimatum, the cry of a broken mama's heart. She wasn't struck dead, lightning bolts didn't enter the room, she wasn't incinerated right there on the spot, she wasn't turned into a frog right there. Here's what happened. The Lord heard my plea of desperation and healed Don. But we left him in the hospital a few days while he took Dean home. The other twin. Five days later, the doctor called and said, come and get this baby. He's eating us out of house and home. I'm not saying we're going to get all the healing that we asked for. But God knows we don't get all that happens to us. And he's a God that lets us express ourselves to him. and allows us to feel it and pour out the grief to him. But not only can we grieve to God, but we can also trust God. He's revealed enough of himself to us, even though we don't understand enough, that we can trust him. Look at the rest of Job's response. In Job 1, verses 20 through 22, he's ripped his robes, he's shaved his head. Then in the latter part of verse 20 and into 21, it says, Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. 
In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I mean, he continues to trust God. I mean, we sang the chorus earlier about uh, he gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job wrote the song. He's the guy that wrote the thing. And did you hear what he said? He said, hey, the Lord gave all this to me. It belongs to him. If he wants to take it, then so be it. That's where Job lived. Job lived in the place that, hey, you know what? Everything I have comes from God. Everything I have belongs to God. And God wants to take it away. God can. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't hurt. We already saw the grief he expressed. That doesn't mean he didn't have the pain. It just meant, you know what? This isn't my stuff. It's his. It all belongs to him. But I'm going to send to praise him. I'm going to continue to still trust him because he is God. You know what Job is saying? I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this for God. I'm in this because God is God. And no matter how great the suffering is in my life, nothing can compare to who God is in my life. And of all the lack of perspective we may have, God's revealed himself to us enough to know that we can trust him because he is at work. You see, here's what we have to understand in the midst of this suffering. God is at work, and that's what Job knew. Job knew that God was at work in the midst because he knew that God was in control. He is in control. Say that with me. He is in control. One more time. He is in control. That's what Job knew. That's what he trusted. He didn't feel the presence of God. He didn't have the peace of God at this moment. What's he trusting in? He's trusting in the sovereignty of God. That God is still going to work out His redemptive plan in the midst of human free will, in the midst of the evil and the suffering that's the result of that. God is still in control and God's going to bring about His redemptive plan and purpose for our greatest good and His greatest glory, even in the midst of the suffering that we have in this world. In fact, Job, at the height of his suffering, lost everything. His wife has left him. His wife said to him, curse God and die. And Job wouldn't do it. He's been inflicted with all kinds of physical ailments. And in Job 19, verses 25 through 27, in the midst of his suffering, listen to what he says. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, talking about his death, yet in my flesh I will see God, talking about his own resurrection. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. He knew that God at the end of all things, the redeemer of everything was going to stand upon this earth and eradicate all suffering and evil. He knew the suffering and the evil and the pain was temporary, but the goodness and the greatness and the glory and the righteousness of God was eternal. And that's what he held to and that's what he stood in. You and I, in the midst of the pain and the, and the lack of understanding and our suffering, we can cry out to God and we can turn to God because we know in the hands of God, our suffering is going to bring something redemptive. I want to share three quick ways redemption can come through our suffering as we look at the story of Job. In the hands of God, our suffering proves the integrity of our relationship with him. It proves the integrity of our relationship with him. That's what it did with Job. That Job, it wasn't just about the blessings from God. It just wasn't about the stuff. It just wasn't about all of that. It was about a true, real, sincere, authentic 
love and, and commitment to God and God's commitment to Job. It proves that to us. And proves it to those around us when they see us walking through suffering like they're walking through. Walking through difficult like they're walking through. When they see us and they see us standing in the Lord. They see us standing firm in Him. My grandmother goes on to tell the story in my grandfather's book that 20 years, 20 years after the, the, uh, uh, the twin girls had died, they were in their church. A man came up to share his testimony, we call it, the Jesus story of, of how he came to Christ. And he talked about how he had been in the war, that he came back from the war and everything that happened just so messed up his mind. He couldn't sleep at night and he was just so tormented inside. He had, con- he had considered taking his own life. He said, but then I saw the walkers. He said, I saw how they held on to God in the midst of losing their twin girls. My my grandmother didn't even know this man had seen them or, or had even known about their story. He said, I saw how they held to God. I saw how they stood in him and I saw how God was there to sustain them. And that said to me, there must be a God. And I turned to him because of them. And when he shared that story in church, more people got up and came to Christ. Why? The integrity of the relationship. This thing is real. I don't have to be bribed to follow God. It's what we say when we're going through suffering and we hold to Him. It proves our relationship, the integrity of it. It defeats Satan, suffering in the hands of God. When you look at the story of Job, after the second chapter, Satan's nowhere around. Why? Because Job held to God. Job continued to walk with God and God was still faithful to Job. Satan had no leg to stand on because that was his accusation. When you and I and the enemy comes against us in some type of wicked scheme, when you and I stand fast in him and we hold to God even though we don't understand and we trust him, that kicks the enemy right in the teeth because he knows he can't get us. It defeats the enemy. And lastly, it deepens our relationship with God. Suffering in God's hands deepens our relationship with God. If you go to the end of the story in Job, Job chapter 42. If you've never read the story, I encourage you to read it. It's a great read. The first two chapters, we see the tragedy of Job. The remaining, the next 35 chapters, we see Job and all of his suffering. He's got three so-called friends that are trying to help him. And they philosophize all about why there is suffering and who God is in suffering. It's great poetry and wonderful narrative. It's just lousy theology. See, Job never sinned against God in that he never walked away from him. He never cursed him. He held fast to him. But here was Job's sort of fall in all of this, if you will. Because he was right with God and he did remain faithful to God. He believed he deserved an explanation from God. He believed he deserved an answer from God. Well, in chapter 37, God finally speaks. If you've ever read it, it's a great read. He looks at Job and said, you want an answer? Okay, before I give you an answer, let me ask you a few questions. He says, by the way, why don't you, why don't you stand up so we can talk? Where were you when I formed the sun? Where were you when I put the constellations in the sky? Job, where were you when I made the foundations of the world? And where were you when I thought up a redwood tree? And where were you when the cow came to my mind? And he goes through this entire, for five chapters of this whole creation litany. And Job finally got it. Job said, you know what? 
If I can't understand all these things, I'll never understand your explanation to me about why this is going on in my life. And here's what Job says. In Job 42, verses 3 through 5, he says, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Verse 4, he's speaking to God. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes, what? Say it out loud. Have seen you. Man, I heard about you. Now, this is, a, this is a man right with God. This is a man who walked close with God. This was a man who was, who was good before God. And now, after going through all this, what does he say? Man, I'm even closer. I see who you are. It isn't just about hearing about you. It's about seeing who you are. Suffering in the hands of God to those who will hold to Him. It brings us closer and deeper into our understanding and relationship with Him. I told you about the boy who was born with cerebral palsy. Has a severe speech impediment. He has chronic physical pain. He has poor motor skills. He was, by the age of 14, he was an orphan. His parents didn't want him anymore. They, were, they just put him out because they couldn't take care of him. He went from foster home to foster home to foster home because nobody could take care of him and wanted him because of his condition. Publicly ridiculed and humiliated. But through all of that, came to know God. Came to the understanding of Jesus Christ. That man's name is David Ring, by the way. David Ring is a minister of the gospel. David Ring is a man who is an inspirational speaker. He goes to churches, he goes to schools, he goes to businesses. He goes around telling his story of suffering and how that brought him to God. And he's got a terrible speech in front of him. He's thrown right there. And he, and he, and he drew it like this. Here's his opening line to every speech. It's this. I have cerebral palsy. What's your problem? The young teenage girl dived into a shallow part of the lake, ended up a quadriplegic. Her name's Johnny Erickson Tata. She's an author. She's written all kinds of books. She is a tremendous artist. She paints with her teeth. Tremendous paintings. She writes hymns. She's 60 years old now. Ten years ago, she was diagnosed with chronic pain. Not only does she have to be a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, now she has chronic pain she has to deal with. A year and a half ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Never been healed. But all of her suffering brought her to God. All of her suffering has taken her closer to God. This is what she says about never being healed, about what this suffering has brought into her life. She says this, It has disciplined my mind. It has taught me to spend my time wisely. It has given me the hope of heaven. Lord Jesus, you were so good at not healing me. And I know there are many people who wish to be free of their circumstances. They're looking for an escape hatch or maybe a quick fix. Or thick flicks to their affliction. And they think they may find it in divorce. Or they're pondering with the idea of suicide. Or they're thinking that they'll find it in the pills of medication or a healing service. But the years that I've been in this wheelchair have taught me that suffering is that good sheepdog 
always snapping at my heels and driving me into the arms of the shepherd. For that, I am so grateful. I am so grateful. God didn't give Job an explanation. He didn't give David Ring an explanation. He hasn't given Johnny Erickson Tata an explanation. He really hasn't given you and I an explanation. He gave us something better than that. God gave us himself. That's what he gave to Job. He gave him himself. See, God has given us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He came fully human and fully God. The only one of his kind to taste every form of suffering that you and I have to deal with. He has been through every form of suffering. He stepped into the messy world we created. He didn't create the messy world. We created it. But he stepped into it for us because he loves us. And he has taken on every form of evil and suffering that you and I have been exposed to. He even died a heinous death on a cross to identify with all of the suffering that you and I walk through. We do not have a God that has not been exposed to the suffering. We do not have a God that's aloof from it. We have a God that has tasted every bit of it. But the beautiful thing it is that Jesus Christ didn't stay dead, but he resurrected from the dead three days later. And you know what the resurrection of Christ tells us? There's an expiration date to suffering and evil in this world. Suffering and evil are temporary. You see, after Christ resurrected from the dead, he suffered no more. He didn't suffer anymore. And that is the great promise that you and I have. He has given us himself. And there is coming a day and time, as Job said, the Redeemer is going to stand on this earth and all of evil and suffering is going to be eradicated. In fact, the end of the story with Job, in Job 42, and I invite the band to come up at this time. In Job 42, verses 12 and 13 and 15 and 17, look how it ends. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died old and full of years. Now that doesn't mean we're going to get everything back. That evil and suffering has touched in our lives. But it is a great picture of the great restoration of God that is coming to all who know him to this earth. Suffering exists because evil exists. But God didn't create evil. Satan's the source of that evil and we brought it into this world when we chose to partner with him. Our perspective is limited on understanding all of this. Yet we can still cry out and grieve to God in the pain of our suffering. And we can trust Him because He is in control and He is at work. And his, our suffering has redemptive value in His hands. Evil. Suffering are temporary. The goodness and the greatness of God is eternal. The greatest answer to why there is suffering is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tomorrow morning, the surgeon began, I'll open up your heart. You'll find Jesus there, the little boy said. The surgeon looked up, annoyed. I'll cut your heart open, he continued, to see how much damage has been done. 
But when you open my heart, the little boy said, you'll find Jesus there. The surgeon looked at the parents who just sat there quietly. When I see how much damage has been done, I'll sew your heart and chest back up and I'll plan what to do next. But you'll find Jesus in my heart, the little boy said. The Bible says he lives there. The hymns all say he lives there. You'll find him in my heart. The surgeon had had enough. I'll tell you what I'm going to find in your heart. I'm going to find damaged muscle, low blood supply, and weakened vessels. And I'll find out if I can make you well. You'll find Jesus there too, he said. He lives there. The surgeon walked out. He performed the surgery. The surgeon sat in his office recording his notes from his findings. A damaged aorta. A damaged pulmonary vein. Widespread muscle degeneration. No hope for a transplant, no hope for a cure. Therapy, painkillers, and bed rest. Prognosis, he paused for a moment. Death within one year. He stopped the recorder because there was no more to be said. He looked up to heaven. Why? He asked out loud. Why did you do this? You've put him here. You've put him in this pain. You've cursed him to an early death. Why? The Lord answered. The boy, my lamb, was not meant for your flock for long. For he's a part of my flock and will be forever. Here in my flock, he will feel no pain. And will be comforted as you cannot imagine. His parents will one day join him here and they will know peace. And my flock will continue to grow. The surgeon's tears were hot, but his anger was even hotter. You created that boy and you created that heart. He'll be dead in months. Why? The Lord answered, The boy, my lamb, shall return to my flock for he's done his duty. I did not put my lamb with your flock to lose him, but to retrieve another lost lamb. The surgeon, the lost lamb, wept. The surgeon sat beside the boy's bed. The boy's parents sat across from him. The boy woke up and whispered, Did you cut open my heart? Yes, said the surgeon. What did you find? asked the boy. I found Jesus there. I found Jesus there. You see, sufferings in the hands of God to those that trust Him, when you slice open that suffering, you find Jesus there. He didn't give us an explanation. He gave us Himself. I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes a moment. That God, that Jesus, that presence, His Spirit is in this place. Father, for the next few moments, may we respond to You. May we have the courage and the faith and the trust to just let You be God here for a moment. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask this question. And this may be unusual for some of you, and I, and I, I don't want you to feel awkward about it, but it simply is just to sincerely be able to pray. But how many of you would simply say, Pastor Mark, I am really walking through a place of suffering, a place that I really don't have an explanation for. It's a difficult place. 
Maybe it's in, in your body. Maybe it's in your relationship. Maybe, maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your mind. Maybe the pain and the suffering is because of your own wrong choices of sin. And, and you just need the forgiveness of God. But, but you're walking through a place of suffering. And you need, if nothing else, to just be able to call out to the sovereign God. And say, here I am. And maybe you feel like he's a long way off. But you would say, Pastor Mark, I need prayer today. I'm walking through a place of suffering. Would you simply raise your hand good and high in this place? Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be uh, uh, embarrassed about. I want us to do one next step. And this will be a greater next step for some of us. And, and I invite you to please to just do as God speaks in your heart. Because we want to pray with you. I'm going to invite you to step out from where you are. This band is going to sing and simply walk down here. There's going to be people here to pray with you, to agree with you, to simply be a source of God's compassion and comfort and strength for you as they pray for you. I'm going to invite those that are going to pray, men and women that are going to be praying. If you would come quickly and just make your way down here very quickly, please. You raised your hand and you said, I'm walking through that place. And I need prayer. I'm going to invite you right now to just stand up where you are and make your way down here. People will get out of the way so you can come. So I invite you now. You raised your hand. You stand right now. And you make your way. You find somebody here that will pray with you. People will move so you can come. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing to be ashamed about. It's your time. You and God. He's in this place to minister to you where you are. You come as the band sings. Father, we believe that right now. That you are here. You are that strong tower. You are that mighty fortress. You're the mender of broken hearts. You repair wounded souls. You put back together messed up minds. Father, I pray for every person in this room. Those that came to this down front and those that perhaps didn't. Wherever we are in our lives, I pray that the reality of a God who's not left us alone, but a God who understands and a God hears every part of our cry, a God who has given us Himself so that we can know we never walk alone. And God, I'm praying by Your mighty power, miracles will take place for Your praise and Your glory. By Your mighty power, God, there will be tremendous things to happen in our lives to show that you are great and you are mighty at the same time, God. When we have to continue to walk through, may we also know that you are great and you are mighty and you sustain us. May we never just be in it for the money, God, but may we be in it because you're God. You're God. You've proven yourself to us. Now we believe and we pray and we ask all these things In your mighty name, Jesus Christ, amen and amen.